Well, it's, uh, it's good to be back. Good morning. How are we all? Good. Here at our home at Freeway, our church, we too have been going through some changes and some transformations over the time that I've been here. Uh, you did. You got a, a new pastor. I'm not that new anymore. I've been here a few, few years now. And we've had a few changes in our environment. Things have been popping up and, and different stuff in our the walls keep changing colour. And even if you walk into the creche now, it's a different setup in there. And things are changing environmentally as we, as we seek to kind of make the, the aesthetics of the building more usable, more, more inviting. We've also had a change of name. And with that, a, ch- a change of motto. We've got a new motto now that, that comes along with this name. But all these changes are really, they're just aesthetics really, even, even, even a pastor coming is just aesthetic changes. They don't, they don't make a church what a church is. They're, they're not what a church's DNA is. They, the culture of the people are, are what the DNA of, of a church is. It's, it's, it's how your values are, how you are as a community and, and a group of people living a particular way, and our new motto is uh, a new way to live, is what makes up a church. So what we want to do is is kind of put some some values to what underpins us, what drives the culture here of of this family, of this spiritual home that we call Freeway. So today what we're doing is we're beginning a value series. And over the next few months we will be um, looking at a set of values that seeks to uh, give support to our, our new church motto, which you may have seen it starting to appear around the place, is a new way to live. A way of life that, are, that arises out of and is maintained and, and matured in this news that we call the gospel. The grace of God to us through Jesus, which is most profoundly uh, seen and demonstrated and affected in the cross and, and an empty cave, in, in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And the salvation and the transformation that, that flows uh, out of that event. A way of life, a new way of life, where, where, where we run toward God and his grace and mercy rather than rebel against God and, and hide in, in, in pride and shame and fear. A way of life that, that a new way of life that sees what were potentially natural born enemies, people who are divided by things like uh, a race and economics, uh, political ideals, gender divisions, come together united in the love of Christ. And rather than segregating, we, we serve. A way of life that puts Jesus at the center of all that we do and, and not ourselves. A new way to live. That, that's, that's, where our, that's where our new motto is coming from. This culture that we want to have here. This understanding of who and what we are. Well, this is the plan. To go through, you've you got 11 of them there. These <coughs> values. And we're going to be going through them all the way up to the 1st of May. And on the 1st of May, we are having a service to launch our new name. Now, we, we don't want this to be like a little whimper of, of a day. We want it to be significant. Can't, we want to kind of put a little flag on a hill sort of moment where we say, 
This is a place where we're advancing the kingdom of God, where this new life is experienced. We're here to proclaim the gospel of Christ, where where this new life is encountered. We want to do that in in the city of Kingston, in the area of Chelsea, all, all around. That's our go. Now, there is actually a fair bit to do between now and then. Leadership are working on it. But if you feel like you can get involved, please talk to one of our leaders and, and say, look, you know what, this interests me. I want to I see what I can do. There's one area that we desperately need some help in, and that's the, that's the area of um, kind of like web pages and, and social media. We, we kind of need to get on board with that in, in a real way. So if you're kind of sitting there and that's you'll go, you actually can build these things and maintain them, then we want to talk to you. There is another very simple thing that you can do as we head up to this, as we start to begin to create uh, culture and, and actually adhere, you know, join into this new way to live, and that is to be committed to gathering, to be committed to, to coming uh, every Sunday when you can. If there is a value that marks a church or should mark a church is that we, that we love each other, yeah? That is not something you can do... Uh, by distance. There is no such thing as a Christian whose missing church is insignificant. If you're not here, we are not encouraged, as we saw a few weeks ago, by your gifts to us, and you are not able to be encouraged by us to you. The main purpose of church is the edifying, equipping of each other in this, in this new way of life. So that, that's where we're heading, that's what we're doing. Okay. Let's, uh, let's get to work here this morning. We're looking at our, our first value, and that's biblical faithfulness. Not, not merely uh, you know, biblical knowledge, but biblical faithfulness that, that translates into to deep heart change, that comes from understanding what God has done for us in, in Jesus. Now, I want to do my, put my drink. I did some <clears throat> damage to my voice. Well, we were away, but that's another story. I'll tell it one day. So I need some water. But as we look at this biblical faithfulness, the plan or the plan of attack for this morning is to, is to have a, a, a kind of a basic familiarization with the Bible. And then what I want to do is look at six progressive areas that form a case for, for biblical faithfulness as, as they pile on top of each other. We're just going to kind of skim over the top really quick. Uh, it's impossible to kind of really drill into this in the time, in the, you know, in the 40, 50, 60 minutes that you give me to preach. Um, can't be done. But what you can do is you can dig in deeper uh, with your Bible study groups in looking into this. But what we're saying is that biblical faithfulness is core here at Freeway. It's one of our, one of our core values. And here are the, here's the six um, progressive steps that we're going to look at. The Word of God is normative for human flourishing. Always has been, always will be. The Word of God rebelled against and lost. The Word of God that pursues in love. The Word of God that appears in the flesh. The Word of God that saves and the Word of God that, that transforms. So what? there they are. So let's begin to get familiar with this book. The Bible is actually a, a very diverse collection of different writings, 66 books that, that exist in two main sections, Old Testament and New Testament. 
you, you all kind of most will know that. The Old Testament holds 39 of these books written over about 1,200 years and the New Testament holds 27 of these books all written by the end of the first century. The Bible itself is written by about 40 different human authors and, and it's kind of over a period of nearly 2,000 years uh, over with two main languages, Hebrew and Greek, and there's just a little bit of Aramaic splashed in there in a spot. It was written on three different continents, dozens of locations. The Bible covers a lot of topics. It covers a lot of events. It records history and poetry, uh, prophecy, it, it, parables, narratives, and, and, and this, this, the Gospels to name a few of the, the genres. I don't know if that's how you say that word, but genres. And literally, it makes me sound smart, doesn't it? Oh, oh, you know, Nick's nodding, so I must have been close. And my, my little thing's going flat, so I'll just point. As we, as we listen to all of this, we realise that the Bible contains a variety of material written by human authors over a long period of time. But what is astonishing is that in spite of this, we find that it, that it has a unified, that it's unified in its message and its content. And that is because it actually has one originating author, God, who has used human agency to record his word with one supreme subject that binds it all together. Jesus Christ and the salvation that God offers through him. It also has a unifying theme and, and some people kind of split hairs on how to, how to um, phrase this theme but I'm rolling with the kingdom of God. So massive diversity in, in how this book comes together but singular in its origin. God, singular in its focus, Jesus, and, and singular in its theme, the kingdom of God. And it is precisely because of this incredible uh, diversity and unity, uh, this, and its divine origin, that the Bible cannot be read like any other book. You cannot treat it like a fortune cookie, where you just kind of pluck a verse out, a nice little saying for the day, in, in, sort, of, you know, in sort of splendid isolation, oh, that'll do. You cannot even treat it like a collection of quotations to, to merely use just at the right moment, you know. Your kids are beating the suitcase out of each other and you're like, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that's good advice and true, but why? With the exception of some proverbs, the Bible does not contain isolated sayings. It's dangerous practice to dip in randomly and extract verses out with any regard for their context and the place in the unity and, and the focus and the theme of Scripture. We cannot even consider each of the 66 books as being independent of each other. The Bible itself demands to be read as one book that presents the unfolding story of God's plan to save the world through His Son, Jesus. The Bible has one other quality that, it, that is kind of rather objectionable to some but delightfully joyous to others. 
The Bible claims to be the very truth of God himself. Thus it contains a history of God's revelation to mankind rather than mankind's thoughts about God. Where are we at? It claims a self-authenticating and exclusive truth from God himself. And to this end, we must live our lives in faithful and joyous response and conformity to its story. We must live as biblically faithful people. Because this is where God has chosen to make himself known to us. He has spoken to us and told us what he wants us to know about him and, and the plans that he has for us and what he is doing for us in his son Jesus. But what we see is that right out of the gate, from the very first verses of the Bible, we see that the word of God is normative for human flourishing. God is a God who speaks, who chooses to create and relate to all of creation through his word. Thus, God is distinct from creation, but, but intimately involved. Nothing existed apart from God until he spoke. That's the opening presupposition of the Bible. God is the exclusive, eternal, self-existing being who, who spoke everything else in to being. On this basis, God and God alone can interpret every fact in reality. No one and nothing else is qualified to do so. God and God alone can supply us with how to live life best, how to live in relationship with each other. I had to live in relationship with creation and how to live in relationship with him. When God creates, he makes people unique. Unique in all creation, they are made in his image. Being made in God's image implies a lot of things with our, with our role and um, our responsibilities here on earth. But one of the things that it demonstrates is that God chooses to be able to dialogue, to, to, to speak with his people. And out of that dialogue, humanity would live to the glory of God and our joy. That, that is, that's where human flourishing comes from. God spoke to Adam and Eve and told them all that they needed to know about themselves and their relationship with God. That's how it began. It's through the word of God that humanity was designed to be blessed and is blessed. It's through the word of God that humanity was to experience the joy that is found in a relationship with God and to bring that to bear on how we relate to all other things. Even before sin entered the world, humanity was dependent upon the word of God for correct interpretation of the world and human flourishing. You ever thought about that before? Even before sin enters the world, we are dependent creatures on the word of God. We are created with one dependency that enabled human flourishing, the word of God. Being created in God's image, though, means also that we are, to a degree, self-determining. And in that, 
self-determining capacity, we acted in unthinkable rebellion. We determined to make God's word subjective to our own word. We determined to be the interpreters of God's word, to be the interpreters of his rule. The Bible calls this moment the fall, the moment sin entered the world. Sin, put simply, is the rejection of God's word, his wise rule, and the elevation of our thoughts over and above that. Now, this is not merely the breaking of some arbitrary rule. This was the de-godding of God. Treasonous rebellion, a grasp for autonomy and self-rule. The fall had cosmic relational consequences. Sin took humanity out of God's blessing and placed us under a curse. It separated us from intimacy with God, from, from, from walking with God, from hearing His word. We'd rejected it. It also has a consequence of frustrating all that we do in our own words and causes spiritual and physical death. That's what came about. Henceforth, humanity no longer lives in joyful delight and dependence on God's word. That's the condition of humanity. That's what we find ourselves in. We find ourselves in willful suppression and rebellion against every supernatural word of, of God. The united voice of both the Old Testament and the New Testament is that we, we keep on hearing, but, but we do not understand. Sin has deadened our hearts to the word of God. God is no longer self-evident to the sinful heart. He is no longer glorious. He is no longer to be pursued. See, without the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit that we need, we are lost to our own folly. Without the word of God ruling in our lives, humanity is involved in and characterized by sin. And the wages of sin are death. And the symptoms of sin are, as D.A. Carson puts it, a consuming self-focus in which we desire to dominate or manipulate others. Here, he says, is the beginning of fences, of rape, of greed, of malice, of nurtured bitterness, of war. We are not qualified to rule our own lives. Without the word of God ruling our hearts, we fail to flourish. God, though, through his great love and in accordance with his perfect plan, pursues us in love through his word. Despite the horrendous offence of our action against our creator, God chooses to remain in a in relation with us. In, though it's a fallen relationship, he stays in relation with us. And he promises that one day he will restore what's lost. We, we see that right out of the gate in Genesis 15. In Genesis 3, sorry, 15, where God says, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this. One day, uh, my word will come, a person is coming that will restore what was lost. God initiates a new and gracious means of communicating with us that we might begin to see that he is committed to our redemption and understand the gravity of our sin and our need for saving from it. The new and saving acts of God involved a new uh, supernatural revelation of his word through human agency. God would speak and make his plans for us known through men. God uses words 
whether it's a decree that causes something to happen, like we saw in Genesis 1, you know, let there be light, or a personal address that, that we might read in places like Genesis 2 or in Exodus 20, you know, where he's giving the Ten Commandments. It's a personal address to Moses. We also find personal addresses in the New Testament, in Matthew, you know, where he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. It's a personal address from God. But the most common form of revelation that God uses in the Old Testament that has become scripture comes from God speaking through human agency. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 1.1 that long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our Father by the prophets. The divine word of God came to his people through prophets in such a way that the prophet of God spoke the very words of God. The very words that God would have him speak. Our passage this morning made it clear that all scripture is God-breathed. That is, while it's written by the pens and personalities in the cultural settings of human agency, its origin is not in their thoughts, but its origin is in the communication of God. God's revelation to humanity about himself. It was God who spoke words to Moses to Ezra, to David, to Isaiah, to Jonah, to Nahum, to Zechariah and and to the other writers of the Old Testament. The Old Testament comes to us because God chose to reveal himself through decree and dictation and inspiration and required various people to write his words down as, as revelation to us. This became God's word to his people that they might once again do life with God. The psalmist that we read this morning says of the scriptures, of these, of these writings, that the one whose life is maintained by this word is once again blessed. The word of God brings God's blessing. But as we read through the Old Testament, we learn that in spite of God's constant loving pursuit of us, in spite of his constant address to us through the prophets and powerful deeds, the issue of sin is not easily Uh, or casually dislodged from the human heart. Something greater is required to reunite humanity back with God in a way that his word is once again the desire and the affection of our heart. While the Old Testament recorded the word of God so that his people might live appropriately before him, the full significance of the redeeming qualities of the word of God are not fully revealed or fully comprehended until the coming of Jesus Christ. The gospel writer John tells us that Jesus is the eternal word of God. Word become flesh, or as Matthew puts it, God with us. The word of God has come and dwelt amongst us, dwelt amongst his people and and seeks to reestablish his kingdom and rule in their hearts, seeks to reestablish his word in our lives. Jesus, while he appears in history and appears in the scriptures, is the living manifestation of the word of God. He says things like, I and the Father are one. My people hear my voice and I will give them eternal life. The Father is in me and I am in the Father. We, we, we read that through John's gospel. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is God in the flesh And the supreme way to know God, the supreme way to know God's word. Jesus came to be 
living word of God and to bring us back into right relationship with God through his ministry of revealing the Father's love, which is powerfully demonstrated and validated in his death and resurrection. Without Jesus being God in the flesh, without Jesus being the word become flesh, nothing in the Bible makes sense. It's heading nowhere and, and, and doing nothing. The relationship of Jesus Christ to the scripture is that he sums it up and brings it to fulfillment and interprets it. All of scripture points to Jesus and flows out of him. The New Testament is the Holy Spirit's inspired record of the life of Jesus as the word of God. And the implications that this life and death and resurrection have on us. Every word of the New Testament comes from the Holy Spirit's testimony to Jesus. The New Testament records the central facts of the gospel and explores the implications of this gospel on the lives of his people. Gospels begin the New Testament and they reveal Jesus. The book of Acts comes next and it preaches Jesus. And then we have the epistles, the letters from Romans to Jude and they explain the implication of the salvation that comes in Jesus and what that has over our lives. And then Revelation kind of wraps it up and tells us that Jesus is coming back and that we are to live in view of this fact. It is precisely because of this that the scriptures lead us to salvation. They point us to Jesus and our need for him and the salvation that he brings us. Our need for him to deal with our sin and the rebellion of our heart. Without the scriptures, we would know nothing of the gravity of our sin. We would know nothing of the love of God for, re- for rebels. And we would not know how the two are brought back together as peaceful friends. It is the scriptures that make us wise for salvation because they lead us to spiritual life. They make us uh, alive again through truth. Uh, a right understanding of who Jesus is, God's salvation. In the scriptures we find how a holy God can once again be in relationship with sinners. It is through his son, Jesus. Only God's grace in the saving work of Christ that we find all scripture focused on. And it's only this that can restore a proper relationship between God and humanity. A relationship in which we once again are joyfully dependent on the word of God and rightly interpret and relate to God and each other and creation. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to cause rebellious hearts to be melted by the word of God. The Holy Spirit takes the word of of God and breeds faith in us, new birth, and testifies to our hearts about Jesus indwells our hearts and brings the word of God to bear on how we live. We call this process sanctification. It's in this new environment of the heart that the word of God is no longer offensive and condemning. It is life-giving and it's transformative. The word of God becomes good news, a gospel, a message that will motivate, direct, and pattern and empower our lives and the life of the Christian community. 
All scripture is God-breathed and is useful to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us and train us in a new way to live, a way of, a way of righteousness. And righteousness is simply being in right relationship with God. And out of that, being in right relationship with others and, and, and with the world around us. Scripture also equips us to live effectively for God in this fallen world. To be a city on a hill, a lamp on a table, as it says. Salt in the world, affect change. To be the bringers of God's world into the lives of our neighbours. As Paul says in Romans 14, how, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. How, how wonderful is it when we take this word of God that's transformed our life and we, we go with it. Biblical faithfulness is a core value here at Freeway because it's out of the Word of God that we become a believing community, a people that once again live to His glory. It is out of the Word of God that we are sustained and equipped to live as God's people. And it is out of the Word of God that we grow in depth and in size as a community of people. And it's the whole Bible that we joyfully saturate our hearts with, we don't pick and choose which parts we, we, we will take on board or which parts we'll ignore. All scripture is God-breathed and is for our salvation and edification. Every word of God leads us to joy and human flourishing because it points us to Jesus and God's salvation in him.